Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 137? Yes. Wow, we're really getting up there of Fun With Cars. I'm Robin Warner, and I don't have a made-up name to give the show today, but we're covering uh, the mid-season. It's the summer, and half-seasons happen, but we still have a whole other half to talk about, and it's just that time, and plus, man, these breaks, they just take too long. So this isn't from any Grand Prix. This is from the world headquarters of... Detroit area. Yes, and I am Jim Lau. <laughs> and as you said, we're going to do uh, a rundown, a mid-season, uh, uh, we can call it a teammate comparison. And there's a uh, lot of we what, can call it that. There's yeah. a lot of what we'll do. Um, or, Should that be the name? Welcome um, to Teammate Comparison. Well, you know I'm what? Robin Warner. We're, we're already in it, though, so uh, oh. let's, let's, just, let's just do our thing. Oh. So as we want to do, we want to start, um, start at the back of the grid and move forward. Um, in terms of championship standing. So we'll end yes, up... Yes, we do. But not before we have a poem. Well, really? Just right out of the gate like because that? Because, the, listen, you, hit, you, you give people what they want, and they clearly want another poem. Who wanted another poem? Everyone. Oh. <clears throat> Christian Horner. Oh, good. Poem-worthy, he is not. A lovely bouffant, no doubt. But we stop way before hot. We'd rather discuss the drivers, their triumphs and pitfalls, especially Pastor Maldonado and all the times he stalls. The mid-season break may be a welcome rest for some. Drives true fans crazy, waiting for the green flag to come. When the circus arrives at Spa, we will all surely rejoice. Now everyone can relax and hear the sound of Jim's voice. <laughs> it's a long one, right? If, oh, only this, a... if only this were a video show and everyone could just see how pleased this look on, on your face. Oh, just how happy you are with yourself at the moment. What pleases me is serving the fans. And this clearly serves the fans. There are some fans who I'm sure feel served at the moment. <laughs> uh, and, they, and they can rejoice. All right. Do we have any more poetry to get through before moving on with We them? have at least like two and a half minutes of poetry-free time. I hope the, the poetry-free time. I'm, okay, good. Then we'll continue on with a poetry-free yeah. show. Um, this is the fastest you'll ever hear Jim talk. You know... <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Drivers, yes. We're going to go in reverse order because we want to save the most exciting for last. And just, I guess, as much as anything, it is coincidence that the most exciting stuff does happen to be at the top. Yeah, and, you know, we all kind of, I think, know um, how, uh, you know, Vettel and Weber stack up against each other and so on. A lot more so, you know, we haven't looked throughout the season at, well, how are the Caterham teammates doing and how are Marussia and Williams and so on. So exactly let's, right. let's start there uh, with Caterham Renault. Zero points in the Constructors' Championship, mm. um, and in 11th spot based on just finishing positions behind Marussia. Absolutely. And what's fascinating about this Paro, they seem to be relatively even here. Of course, we're talking about uh, Charles Peak and, uh, oh, I'm going to say this so wrong. Guido Vandergaard. Is it just Guido? Guido, man. Oh, good. There is a D. Okay. Guido Vandergaard. <laughs> That's the part I was like. Wait, how are you going to say it? Oh, never mind. <laughs> Not important. Vandergaard. Is the one I could say, but the Guido part was uh, throwing me off. Anyway, those two are, you know, it seems like, um, it seems like uh, 
Charles Peak has a little bit of an edge, but we're not talking about anything lopsided here. Right. Well, so Charles Peak has outqualified Guido um, two more times than the other way around. Right. So out of 10 races, you know, that's, that's uh, like it's, you say, it's an advantage, but it's not huge. It's not a shutout by any means. We, there are other teams where it's much, a much starker <laughs> difference. Definitely. Um, he's been, fa- has had a faster lap in the race. Uh, Charles Peake has four times more than, than the other way around and so on. Um, but yeah, we've seen, I think we've seen more of Guido in terms of uh, schmozzles with, I'm thinking Mark Weber in Canada, yeah. thinking uh, sort of more blue flag and kind of why isn't he getting out of the way? I, I would have thought that he his results would be lower down than they are, but it's not um, not, a, not a huge difference. So overall, if you were to uh, put their race, uh, not not wins, of course there's zero wins between them, no points between them, but uh, the uh, where they finish in the race and uh, you know, how many points behind his teammate the, each one was, Guido would end up 13 spots behind Charles Peak over the course of the race. So it's just you know a position or two here and there, and that just right. adds up over the course of the season. So that, uh, that that delta in finishing position is 13. So, I mean, we really have to say it's it's not a huge advantage, but Charles Peak um, being the stronger teammate between the caterums, um, and then there's, I don't see Agreed. any... Agreed. Plus, I mean... Uh, Charles Peake is French, and Guido Vanegard is Dutch. I mean, uh, what is... That's got to be worth a couple of somethings, right? <laughs> what? Because the Dutch... That doesn't... Even... Actually, I don't know anything about the Dutch being good or bad at all. Uh, well, no, that's not true. I can think of some good things. Because uh, Amsterdam's supposed to be pretty fantastic. Never been, though. I was there once, but I don't remember most of it. <laughs> so it was great. And, uh, you know, I have been to France, and I really liked France. So that's that's what I'm running on here. That is the expert analysis I can bring to the table. Well, thank you for that. Um, so <laughs> as we mentioned, um, Caterham is listed dead last in the championship. So it's like they're, com- you know, more consistent drivers, um, but they don't have anyone who's, you know, having strong enough per- strong enough performances to pull them ahead of the Marussias. I mean, that's been the, uh, the the you know the battle has been of the last three teams, which when this back when this included HRT. HRT is no longer, so it really is kind of still the battle of the, yeah. the pointless the teams so far. What's the deal with Tony Fernandez these days? I'm thinking of the right guy, right? He's team principal of Caterham, isn't he? And uh, yeah, things I, aren't aren't going great, as I understood. I don't know. I haven't uh, we haven't seen any any articles, or whatever. We've heard more about uh, VJ Malia lately, and it sounds like you know it's this weird combination of stronger results for the Force India team, but like more you know yeah. iffy situations. But as far as yeah, Tony Fernandez and Air Asia and the whole thing. Um, I don't know uh, exactly how that's uh, how that's going, but um, you know, I, I've, we have heard, um, you know, there's been rumors and stories that uh, that Guido's seat is not safe, that he may not even finish the season. I mean, we are only halfway through. Um, that he is may, it that start? Yeah, that oh, wow. uh, you know, I guess getting some you know bad publicity for the team, you know, showing the caterham as a rolling chicane or whatever is obviously not good for the publicity, even if your results aren't that far off your teammates. Uh, you know, being the guy that people point to and say, "Wow, look at this car! They're really slow." That's no good. So uh, there, there has been talk of uh, of replacing him. Um, of course, we did have um, uh, Heike Kovalainen uh, in a test session for Caterham a while ago, and that was, of course, their you know star driver. And in previous years, uh, there's a chance that he'll come back, but he says, "Oh no, there's nothing in the works." But well, that's the weird thing, though, because yeah, Kovalainen would certainly be better than Peak or Vandergaard, but. Uh, he was getting paid what it was like something like four million a season or something like that, right. and that was compared to the other drivers in the those lower cars that were getting a hundred grand, couple hundred grand, you know, maybe half a million dollars. 
Which, it's so funny for me to even be able to say that so blase, like, oh, just a few hundred grand to drive an F1 car. But still, by in comparison to other people, and so it was enough of a chip out of their budget that they didn't want to deal with that. Right. So, but does um, Kovalainen now miss driving enough that he would be able to take, you know, a much bigger hit or have to pay with, through a sponsor somehow or something like that? I yeah, know. I don't know. He seems strangely content uh, going around Finland and playing golf and traveling around Europe and whatnot. That's, he, he tweets about golf a lot, which, you know, seems like to go from the excitement of F1 to playing golf is a pretty big, that's a pretty big contrast in itself. So yeah. uh, he seems happy with it, though, so who knows? Uh, if we'll see a change up there, but you know who that reminds me of is uh, the Englishman, Mr. Mansell. Hmm. Yeah, because he got like way into golf, even though he was like quite good as a driver. And it, it, it's one of those things where, and I'm completely, I I feel really, un, really sad here. What is Mansell's first name? Nigel. Nigel. Jeez, why? Why wasn't that in my head? Nigel, quite good driver, terribly aggressive. Um, successful in Formula One, obviously, came to the United States, did some kart racing, did very well there as well. And uh, then he started saying, talking about how awesome golf was. It's like, dude, whoa, what happened? Because golf brings one level of excitement and racing brings another. And to me, they, they seem a bit lopsided. I would agree. But so, hey. uh, and that, that last thing about Kovalainen is the thing that makes me the most sad. But it is, I have to say, it's, it's, that just goes to show you that sometimes the numbers completely don't tell the story. Because if you look at the numbers, it's like, okay, yeah, Charles Peake is a little bit ahead of Vanderguard, but the two are do, not too dissimilar. But then when you start talking about it a little bit more, it gets, becomes pretty clear that Vanderguard, Vanderguard is not doing well at all. He is a dreamy-looking man, though. It was decided early on this year with a very formal, very official Fun With Cars Facebook poll. <laughs> Moving on, Marusha Cosworth, um, yes. as uh, has been announced, will no longer have Cosworth power. Cosworth will not be making a new spec deal uh, for the 2014 engine regs. So this will probably be, certainly for the, for the time being and for some time in the future, the last Cosworth engine we see on a Formula 1 grid for uh, for who knows how long. But Yeah, uh, well, we're, we're going from V8s to V6 turbos. And uh, that's just not in the cards for Cosworth. But either way, for the teammates here, this is one of those where there is a bigger difference. So Jules Bianchi, uh, part of the Ferrari driver development program and so on. This is sort of maybe Ferrari's way of getting him in a seat for this year and in in advance of who knows what, you know. (laughs) And we'll talk a bit more about that later. Um, Compared with Max Chilton, um, the uh, Brit on the grid and uh, brother of touring car star Tom Chilton, by the way. Um, but um, and the younger brother, I'm I'm pretty certain of that. Part. Yeah, I'm just double checking. Right, and uh, so Jules Bianchi has outqualified Max Chilton every race so far. Um, <laughs> okay, so so <laughs> uh, I mean that's yeah that's the biggest thing. So and then also I mean just to it, also ahead in race results, uh, you know higher average racing position. Um, higher average qualifying position. I mean, it's pretty, the contrast is pretty clear that uh, Max Schillen is struggling compared to Jules Bianchi. Yeah, and it's, uh, again, it's it's tough with these guys at the back of the grid, but still, um, in terms of that qualifying, you know, it's uh, on average, Jules Bianchi uh, qualifies a spot and a half higher up the grid than Max Chilton. So right. it's not just that they're swapping places at the end and it's sometimes here, sometimes there. It's like, no, every single time, um, Jules has out-qualified Max Chilton. Um, but at the same time, we haven't heard um, 
you know, we haven't seen Max Chilton. I, I don't think we've seen so many kind of complaints about him. Like I feel like have come out about Guido right. and so on. It's sort of like, oh yeah, he's back there. He's doing his thing. Maybe he's uh, whatever. If it's a if it's a strategy thing or the, not a strategy, kind of a racecraft well, thing. How can you stay angry at an English gentleman? Yeah, I mean, he, let's let's be honest here. Yeah, he seems like a nice enough guy. He's I mean, a nice you know, guy. that's that's always good. But uh, still, I mean, of course, no points between them. Um, and uh, on average, uh, let's see, they. Uh, you know the average qualifying position uh, of the Marushas is twentieth. Um, you know, yeah. com- compared to Cater uh, is actually you know nineteen point nine. So um, on average, it's like Jules' performance is enough to bring Marusha ahead of Cater um, Exactly right. But if it were two uh, two Max Chilton's in the team, it doesn't seem like it would be the other way around. So the good news is it's a really close battle. I mean, it's um, you know between. Uh, 19.9th place average for uh, for Caterham and 20th point zero for Marusha. It tells you that like any race they could swap places and they're really quite close. Um, but which is which is interesting to see. And of course this isn't you know for points or for the championship, but just to kind of you know to look at how close uh, these two teams are is uh, is kind of interesting. So I think basically a lot of credit to Jules for uh, for doing so. that. And uh, and he has his name has been kicked around um, as part of some of the driver. Uh, shuffling around because, of course, he is, uh, you know, part of this Ferrari Driving Academy. Um, Ferrari uh, has one driver under contract for several more years, but uh, another driver who's not so likely to be in the car next year. And uh, so, Jules Bianchi could end up in a much faster car in the near future. The next thing, uh, this is the first, in my opinion, uh, well said, by the way, but the next thing that's on the list to talk about is the first surprise. And sad one Ninth, uh, ninth place in the championship right now, constructors Williams with one single point uh, on, on on the board, courtesy of our engine staller. And I <laughs> just threw that in there, by the way. I didn't know. Yeah, I just knew that stall rhymed with pitfall. Because I thought that was gonna go. I thought you were gonna rhyme it with wall, and I was like, <laughs> but you know, hey. But no, I was. I wanted to be more uh, innocuous than that. Anyway, uh, yeah. So we're talking about Maldonado and. Uh, uh, one of our two Finnish drivers, Valtteri Botas, and uh, Botas has to be said was looking pretty noticeably strong um, compared to Maldonado. Although Maldonado is the one that got the point. Yeah, this is one where it's sort of this debate of, um, like, like you say. I mean, Valtteri um, is ahead of Maldonado in average qualifying position by by about one position from fifteenth to fourteenth. Bautas has out-qualified uh, Maldonado two two more times than the other way around. Right. Uh, and um, has been closer to the faster laps in the, in, in the cars and so on. Um, but and let's not forget Bautas is... Um, now I can't remember which Grand Prix it was, but the wet qualifying, Bautas qualified third, um, and Maldonado was nowhere near. Right. He was 13th that race, um, which was the seventh round of the season. Um, but... Uh, Oh, B- I could look at my the graph I myself made. <laughs> you could look at that. That is that that is a thing that you have in front of you. And I didn't um, do that. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, points on the board is really what counts for a team. And Pastor has brought that, and Botas has not. So, and I think to me, you tell me if you disagree with this. To me, just this speaks volumes of the way Maldonado is. I still really like him as a driver for a lot of reasons. One of them being he he clearly tries as hard as he can and drives with as much passion and spirit as possible. So when it comes to putting the effort in, I don't think you ever have to question Pastor Maldonado. And when he's in the right place, he's proven to be quite quick. 
So we he is a, a race winner, lest we forget. He yeah. is. Yeah. He absolutely is. And so if you add up the fact of a, someone that's passionate and spirited and when on occasion can show some real talent, those two things line up well, he's going to get you the best of your results. But at the same time, if you need someone that's consistent, that's always fast and always will be delivering, Valtteri Botas has, has, has shown those kind of qualities much more so than Maldonado. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I mean, if we look at uh, when, you know, how often they're knocked out of Q2 and, or, you know, knocked out in Q1 or Q2 and kind of who moves on, uh, you know, Botas has done quite well at times when Pastor, you know, seems like he's trying really hard but just not able to get the same results out of the car. And we've seen, you know, Valtteri just be a bit stronger in some of those cases. So, so that's, you know, which could be a good pairing for a team. I mean, it's what, what like you say, is the surprise. And what's sad about it is that it is Williams with all the story and the history and, the, you know, the engineering knowledge behind them and so on, um, that they are, you know, back amongst the very back of the team. And, of course, it was just a race ago that they got their one point, um, that they, they really had zero points right up until then. Um, it's, it's very sad, but it's, it seems like the, the right kind of balance of having um, it's, it's sort of like your, uh, you know, the one driver who's like, okay, when he's switched on, he's really great and, and right there. And the other driver who's just consistently there. And, you know, the idea would be if they were higher up the grid, you'd be consistently getting points and doing well in the championship and so on. And then have your star driver who's really out there to just, you know, really make a name for himself and really perform and, you know, make, make headlines and so on. Um, it's just, it's too bad that that's happening back in 14th to 15th spot rather than happening up in, you know, the top five or, you know, uh, up in the points more regularly. So yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and it it just it just goes to show that uh, Williams has been now for quite a long time in a bad place. They've got a new um, new people helping hoping to run the show. Um, uh, Frank Williams' daughter is now like what assistant team principal or something like that, and. Um, there's clearly effort there. There's clearly like core engineering talent, but I almost feel like um, I, I equate it to some of the performance Honda uh, was doing for for a long time. Uh, Honda were like the kings with engine technology, and I'm talking about road cars here. Right. Just what they could do to make a four cylinder engine work really well versus everybody else. They were just ahead. And then uh, everyone, then other people were like, hey, what about this direct injection thing? And hey, look what we can do with turbochargers now and all this kind of stuff. And Honda's like, hey, let's not worry about that. And all of a sudden, Honda took all their really clever technology, but because they didn't adopt to the new stuff early enough, they became behind. So for a while now, they're slowly starting to catch up. For, For a while, Honda engines were port fuel injection while others were direct fuel injection. Hondas were still naturally aspirated where other guys were making more power with smaller engines, with turbocharging, things like that. And um, they suffered as a result. And then you have to play catch-up. And I think Williams is in that place where they've put themselves in a position where they've had to play catch-up because they were a little bit too narrowly focused, perhaps, and, uh, you know, didn't, like, didn't, weren't an early adopter of, like, you know, blown diffusers, for example, of other things like... I remember, I don't know how many years ago it was, maybe it was two or three, they were just working on building this really compact transmission to help with packagings around the rear. And everyone else was like, well, that's sweet, but this blown diffuser gives us three quarters of a second. You know what I mean? Whatever. Right. That's my point. Yeah, and you remember a couple of the Williams from years past. I mean, they had, you know, crazy different nose designs. They had different stuff. They were, you know, trying um, to get clever in different ways, but it's just whether it's a combination of skill or luck or just, you know, who, whose idea they thought was uh, was better than another one. It just hasn't come together. So it's, you know, good to see that they're not dead last, but it's really, you know, kind of sad 
uh, to see them down in ninth place out of 11. And, uh, in, in, you know, with just really not uh, not being very strong so far this year. Right. And it brings us to another, uh, not, not as much of a surprise, but I would say a disappointment, which is our eighth place contender, Sauber. Yeah. Well behind where they were a year ago. Right. Well, yeah, we've seen, um, you know, seen Saubers do much better than this. Um, so this, in this case, we've got Nico Hulkenberg and Esteban Gutierrez, uh, one of the Mexicans in the field this year. Um, qualifying head-to-heads, though, Hulkenberg 10, Gutierrez 0. Yeah, and, I mean, that that one I can see from two two sides. I mean, Hulkenberg, I think, has established himself across the F1 community as a proper talent. And Hulkenberg was the one that was sought after out of the Force India seat, and Sauber was willing to contract him and pay him to go to Sauber. And the at the pro- time, we thought... You know, was that going to be a good move? Because Force India, you know, is arguably a better team than Sauber. Um, and, you know, they've, they've been back and forth, and it's been very close in recent seasons. But as, as we're looking at here, um, wow, that's not a great move to go from Force India to Sauber. It's better than going to no car at all, I mean, which may have been his other choice. It's to say, hey, do I want to take a Sauber drive or, or not, um, with, uh, with Force India bringing Adrian Sutil back on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Nico Hulkenberg, on average, has qualified in, in just about 12th spot compared to 17th for Gutierrez. So um, just, of course, yeah, Esteban is a rookie. There's, there's a little bit more to it than that. But you think in the same car uh, and the same tracks and so on that, um, you know, to be, uh, to be able to every once in a while make a, make a you know, better, better qualifying result and so on um, or, or a better race result, um, it does get a little bit tighter in the, um, in, in the race result uh, yeah. because you look at uh, Nico on average qualifies in about 12th and finishes about 13th where Esteban qualifies 17th but ends up 16th. So it's sort of, if you look at, on right. average, what happens throughout a race, um, you know, Esteban moves forward, Nico doesn't. Um, but I think, it, to be honest, uh, to me that speaks a little bit more towards just the luck of how a race season, racing goes and the qualifying is a little bit more of, like, straight-up skill of lapping the track as quickly as possible. Right, and, and Hulkenberg the, has made seven points for ex- the team. That's exactly the next point I was Exactly right. Right, so... Um, yeah, it's, it's again not not necessarily a fair a fair fight there with uh, a more experienced driver and and so on. And you know what will be interesting is to see uh, what Nico Hulkenberg's next few years look like and kind of where he fits into this whole puzzle of drivers moving around at some of the top teams and you know different different com- yeah, bits coming can, and going. But if he can get his way up to into a proper top team, I think Nico would be one of the guys that right time right opportunity could really shine. Yeah, and I think Esteban is just the perfect example of the kind of thing that uh, Heike Kovalainen laments, which is the driver coming in with money, the driver supplying money to the team. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jaco and uh, Sergio Perez and Esteban Gutierrez are both backed by uh, Carlos Slim and bring plenty of money to the table. So that's not like they didn't have any talent to get where they were. But the money certainly helps them move up where other people don't have that advantage. Right. And, the, the, you know, Sauber wants them on the team, especially if uh, in the next few years we have a Mexican Grand Prix, which has been talked about. And then these become all of a sudden the local heroes. And there's a lot of, you know, media and excitement and money flying around and so on that has nothing to do with on-track performance or very little to do with on-track <laughs> performance, but all to do with uh, making deals and, and so on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, again, another team with quite a bit of history. And also uh, Sauber has been mentioned as... Um, a possible 
you know, uh, Felipe Massa could return to uh, his former team really? uh, if he doesn't, uh, if he does not get the Ferrari really? uh, re-up, that he oh may end goodness. up back at Sauber. So I did not know that. Um, you, you know, who knows if how accurate that may be? But uh, it would be, you know, would be kind of wild if, uh, if say Massa and Hulkenberg were to switch places, for example. Uh, you know, and <laughs> that would be hilarious. Uh, okay, I if, if you don't mind, I'd like to move on. Sure. This this is a team that just completely surprises me every time. STR Ferrari. Right. They have been. They've had awesome seasons. They've had terrible seasons. Let's not forget they've had uh, they had a race win with Sebastian Vettel. His first and their first. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and then, but I think last season they were down. They were just the next one above the bottom three. You know, with HRT, Mercia, and, K- and Caterham, and then it was oh STR. I mean, they this for a while. Uh, they were the odd man out in Q1, like almost all the time. It was like right. one of the STRs and so on. But as we've talked about, a, you know, more recently than than ever before, um, because that is the Red Bull Junior team, um, it's the stepping stone for drivers. Uh, where you know, of course, at the end of uh, at the end of the year a while ago, when they uh, fired both their drivers and said, "Okay, we're going to start over with new drivers," which doesn't happen all that often in uh, in Formula One. Um, but now that they're looking at uh, taking Jean Eric Verne uh, to Red Bull, it's like. I thought this, it was the other way around. Um, I thought it was Daniel Ricciardo. Was right, 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 right. Yeah. But not taking him to Red Bull, but taking, taking Daniel Ricciardo. So it's like you're in this team where it's not that it's all or nothing, but it's like you really have to impress people, not really to show STR what you can do or to make STR Constructors Championship or any, you know, anything like that because it's just not going to happen. But it's, it's really just a way of establishing your resume and showing you know, the world or really showing you know, Christian Horner and the other Red Bull guys uh, that, hey, I can be really fast and I can be really good. So, yeah. like, what STR earns along the way are just sort of these, these scraps as you're on the way toward a, uh, you know, on your stepping stone toward a, a more serious career. Uh, but they've they've racked up 24 points in the champ- in the Constructors' Championship. And um, more importantly, 11 for Ricardo, 13 for Jean-Éric Verne. You know, the uh, Daniel Ricardo in general, seems to be a solidly better qualifier. But Jean-Éric Verne, has been able to get more points? He's able to think keep things a little bit cleaner, um, in terms of race finishes. I mean, John Eric Byrne is the more reliable race finisher. Dan Ricardo is the more reliable qualifier. I think Dan Ricardo has been in Q3, well, what, a few times, right? So, uh, I mean, he must have been. If his average qualifying position is 10th, he had to be in Q3 a couple of times. Yeah, five times. Five times. So yep. there you go. So... Yeah, but so he's out. So it's been Ricardo out qualifying Vern seven to three over the over the ten races here. So, uh, like you say, you know, in terms of muscling a track or muscling a car around the track, uh, getting there and and you know playing it smart with uh, uh, with the timing through the uh, the screwball F1 qualifying format and so on. Um, yeah, I mean that's uh, you know if you look at um, Daniel Ricardo's performance, you know five times into Q3, uh, that's on par with Adrian Sutil ahead of Deresta, Checo Perez, Hulkenberg, you know Vern. Uh, Botas, it's you know that's a very solid performance for the kind of level that that car lives. I mean that's that's one where it can be um, on on lap times. It's not that hard to get knocked out early on, um, but also if if you if everything comes together just right with uh, the weather and the track and the whole thing, that you know you can get through to Q3 and and then it's a very different race. You know starting from uh, you know 15th versus you know seventh or whatever. That's a uh, yeah. you know very different set of uh, set of challenges to deal with. Another person that uh, Daniel Ricciardo's average qualifying position is better than is Jensen Buttons. Ooh. And that's right. The next team we have to talk about is McLaren because they are sixth in the Drivers' Championship. Not first, not second, not even third. Sixth place for these guys. That, that is 
That is a tougher one to swallow. Yeah, so they do have 57 points. They are well clear of STR, um, and they're only two points behind Force India. So that's actually one of these, you know, one of the few uh, really close battles. Um, well, they, and they are starting to their your, their performance is creeping the right direction. Right. So I would I would be very surprised if they didn't overtake Force India in the next few races and sort of stay there. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, really the close battles. I mean, Red Bull is just you know as usual, being very, very good at the championship. But then that battle for second is quite close between Mercedes, Ferrari, and Lotus. But then this fifth and sixth between McLaren and Force India is, is, an, is one of the few other close ones. And then it's and, on and down from there. And a far gap from the top and four. Then, yeah, and a, but nowhere near the top four. I mean, it's, so it's for McLaren, 57 points. Red Bull has 277 points. It's just, you know, miles apart. Yeah. Uh, so. Performance between the teammates. We've got Button and we've got Checo. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, well, let's let's see. I have to scroll all the way to the top of the spreadsheet because in the past McLaren had been at the yeah. top or near so, the top in championship. If you look at race results and points earned, it's pretty stark. Jensen Button has scored 39 points. Sergio Perez only 18. Uh, Jensen Button's also been on, on average the better qualifier, and uh, he's also he's objectively done better in uh, race finishes as well. He's he's. But it's not. But it's not. It's not huge. It's not. Yeah. It's I not mean, clear cut. Perez did outqualify Button four times. You know, compared to Button six. But still, it's it's not ten to zero. It's not crazy. I mean, it's there's been, you know, we've seen this sometimes where just the, uh, you know, it's like in Q two and just for whatever reason Button just can't get a lap together and maybe it's this and maybe it's that. But there's just these times where Checo just is able to shine in a way that Button's not. Um, and then, uh, like you say, in general, of course, Button is, is stronger. But uh, right. It's uh, you know it's but it's, it's not it's not an obvious conversation like we had about Nico and Esteban. Right. Pretty different. Pretty different situation here. And again, it's it's two different types of drivers. Uh, Sergio is one of those guys that is very clearly giving his all all the time. And uh, this I can actually t- say very truthfully, and I can say this firsthand. You know. All the joking aside about him stealing my ride. Well, okay, we did actually race against each other. And um, you could tell by the moves he was making. And this is 14-year-old Sergio Perez we're talking about here. Where he would just go for it. He would try something, and maybe it would work, and maybe it would not. But he would go for it either way. He would always try. And we've seen that even now in his Formula 1 career. Where he would just he would go for an overtake, or he would go for a move that a lot of po- other people thought was very questionable. But he, he's got heart. He's got lots of heart, and he wants to try. Jensen, in contrast, is much more of your calculated risk kind of guy. He's like, okay, if this isn't going to be 95% chance of working, I'm not going to do it. And he's also a more sensitive driver. If, if the car isn't to his liking, he's slower. And it's not that he's unhappy and just as quick or unhappy and just a little bit slower. He's noticeably slower. Yeah. Whereas someone like Sergio can come in and just wring the neck of the car and just get the best out of it no matter what. But at the end of the day, Jensen has earned 39 points for the team. Checo has earned 18. Exactly. It's like half. So, um, you know, of who do you want on your team? Yeah, sometimes you want, you want the brilliance and whatnot, but to... Um, you know, to really just bring home the most points, which is ultimately what matters for these teams. Um, you know, you really have to say Jensen is uh, stronger at that, and it's no big surprise with you know more time with the team. He is a world champion, and so on. Well, and he's also been racing Formula One since the year two thousand. Yeah. So he is in his thirteenth season. Yeah. And that's actually why I'm ultimately very disappointed in Jensen Button, 
because what we should be seeing here, and I, I hate to bring this up again, it should be much more like Hulkenberg v. Esteban. Mm. Not that Perez is, is a joker of a driver. Perez obviously is quick. That's why McLaren took interest in him in the first place. But Jensen really should be able to show, especially with a team that's struggling, should be able to show the maturity and race strategy to um, just completely walk away from his teammate without any question here. Yeah. And that's, that's where it's disappointing. It's more like when you bet on a sports team and, and you wanted the sports team to win and they did, but they didn't win by beating the spread. You know what I mean? It's like a dominant team playing an also-ran team, and then they barely squeak it through in the last second. Are you talking about stickball here? Yeah, I'm talking ball about. And stick games? I'm talking about when there's a goalpost and a and you have to run to it with the ball in yeah, your foot I don't, hand. I don't know how that works if there's not engines. Or you got to put in a net or something. Yeah, a goal basket unit of some sort. Hmm. I do not know. What I do know. <laughs> yeah. What do you know? Is the Force India. Uh, Force India Mercedes is ahead of McLaren Mercedes yes. by two points yes. for fifth in the championship. So now we're in the top half of constructors in terms of current standings. And who would have thought last year that you would find Force India ahead of McLaren? Um, I think after Australia, uh, everyone would have thought so because you know the Force India has just had a just amazing showing there, um, yes. managing the tires. They you know them and the Lotuses as well. Um, are just really able to, for whatever reason, the way their car works and the way the aero is and the balance of the tires and their drivers um, have all come together in a way that the other cars haven't. I mean, that was, uh, of course, the big, uh, the big question marks from the offseason were, you know, okay, Lewis and the Mercedes. The Mercedes has been terrible, and, you know, how is Lewis going to do and whatever? And yeah. how is his old team at McLaren going to be? And then, you know, very early on, show, you know, showed to be like, okay, I guess that wasn't such a bad move all, after all. But, uh, but Force India, um, with Adrian Soutil and... Uh, and Paul uh, that's the boy, um, our, our, our Scottish buddy, um, just uh, have have been doing really well. I mean, they're ahead of McLaren Mercedes for you know all the uh, um, for all the pomp and circumstance that is McLaren, and uh, and you know really sort of I think getting more out of that car than even it deserves, but uh, doing a great job. So fifty nine points on the board is uh, nothing to slouch at. Slouch no, absolutely at. Would you not. Slouch at something that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Well, the other thing I have to say, I I was a fan of Adrian Sutil. I thought it was I was bummed when he lost his racing seat, and it's cool to see him back. That said, it's very fascinating to see him have Adrian Sutil type luck again. I mean, here's the number that I find most striking: most striking um, uh, laps completed. Uh, Paul Dress has completed ninety four percent of the available laps to complete. Adrian Sutil seventy nine percent. Wow, that, Big, it's that's just, huge. Yeah. And, you know, you look at uh, average qualifying position, Adrian Sutil averaging a 10th place qualifying position compared to Paul DeResta's 13 and a half. Mm-hmm. Solid. But again, you look at points, Paul DeResta 36, Adrian Sutil 23. So it, it, it's, it's a tough thing. Now, Paul DeResta also has, Paul DeResta finished fourth. That's a better finish than uh, Adrian Sutil, but Adrian Sutil did finish fifth. Yeah. So, and this is the only teammate battle where uh, each they've each qualified each other out qualified out qualified each other. Wow, there's a lot of words in there. Um, five to five. Yeah, right. it's actually dead even in terms of that. Like you said, uh, on average, you know, it's not just a who's ahead of whom, but where they actually qualify. So Sutil is higher up the grid on average, but exactly is not right. able to turn that into uh, you know into race results. And uh, we do see you know a string of 
um, poor qualifying performances from Paul DeResta, including a 21st. Um, you know, from a couple races ago, we see um, you know Sutil kind of getting better and better results from his from his really good. Uh, uh, that was seventh place, I think he ended up in Australia. Um, then had a you know a string of really bad results, and then it kind of builds up again, and then it goes all terribly wrong for him again. Um, right, so it's just right. um, the, just the way the season is is moving forward. But um, you know, I, I kind of hope for their sake that they can they can carry on and, and do well. But uh, it's you know Adrian Sutil is getting you know I think in the waning part of his career now. It's he's not you know it's not like a, a Hulkenberg kind of he's up and comer spring chicken, right. <laughs> Um, uh, it, yeah, it, it's a little bit less about him being an up-and-comer up now and a little bit more about him being able to be in Formula One, period. Right. But I think that's starting to maybe become true for Paul Dresta a little bit as well. And this actually is a question I have for you. Which driver do you think is better between Dresta and Hulkenberg? Because here's what I know. Dresta was upset that he was getting less attention than Hulkenberg was. Yeah. Duresta thought he deserved to go to the top Mercedes team. Duresta thought Duresta did not have a confidence issue. And he was upset that Hulkenberg got more traction than he did. Frankly, I think Hulkenberg is a little better. Yeah. But where do you think Duresta deserves to be? Um, I mean, I, I agree. I think looking at... Um... I mean, where you deserve to be is, is a tough question, right? Is it like, should this be fair? Well, you know, life isn't fair and sport isn't fair. And it's not, <laughs> it's not that the best driver gets the best car. It's whoever, who can make the deals. And if you can come with money or you can make results or whatever. So I don't know uh, how to say who deserves to be where. Um, I would, if I were to choose all other things being equal and was just able to pick between DeResta and Hulkenberg, I, I would agree that I think Hulkenberg has just shown um, he can be the stronger driver and because he has, you know, even in in an inferior car with the Sauber, he has been able to out uh, outqualify his teammate every single race, uh, you know. And, and regardless of the, okay, the other sometimes crazy stuff happens one way or another, but uh, that uh, that you're able to maintain that kind of a record um, just looks quite good. Um, you know, he's got, uh, you know, and, and overall, you know, Paul Duresta has averaged to be in qualifying 13 and a half uh, position. Where you look at uh, Hulkenberg is 11.8, so even in, a, in what's you know points-wise been a much worse car, um, Hulkenberg on average has qualified two spots better. So I think um, just looking at the looking at the numbers and uh, as as we like to do, um, I we would are really numbers say numbers guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, with, uh, I know what fan of what a fan of Excel you are, and uh, and I'm looking at the results of that at the moment. Um, it's you know really just down to Hulkenberg, um, but. As you know, it's never quite that simple. There are, you know, all things are not equal um, between, you know, why you'd hire this driver and why you'd hire that driver. And uh, I remember part of the part of the concern being, um, uh, even with you know McLaren Mercedes, it was like, oh, if we should, if they hire, um, you know, if they have Jensen Button on the payroll, and they were like, oh, we could hire Paul Deresta, but he has the same manager as Jensen Button, and we don't have two drivers with the same manager. And then one guy makes gets to make all these decisions about our team and all these different little, you know. Doesn't have yeah, to do with the track performance, but it's that just can be in the background. Absolutely. All this other stuff. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I would, you know, he, I would, I would put Hulkenberg just uh, slightly ahead of Duresta. Okay, so we are we're now starting to get into those top teams that you discussed. The next one that's on the list, team wise, is Lotus Renault. Yes, and so these guys have 183 points compared again to Force India with 59 points. So it's a very very big jump in uh, in performance and really in consistency. As well, so it's 183 points. But yeah, and well, I mean, this this is the one I'm really struggling with. I mean, between the two drivers here, I, I can't pick one being better than the other. These two are 
dead even in every possible way, in every objective and subjective metric. Kimi Raikkonen, Romain Grosjean. Give me, give me one thing where one's better than the other. I, I can't think of a single one. Qualifying performance. Uh, race uh, wins. Okay, that's one. All right. Okay, that's two. Uh, points earned. Uh, okay. Number okay. of retirements. Three. Okay, four things. But otherwise, um, they're... How about a you know Formula One series record of, of consecutive point scoring finishes? How about we're a cha- world championship? <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So... I don't want this to sound weird, but I think the debate here is less about which driver is better in the team and more about does Grosjean deserve that seat. He's shown speed. He can be quick. That's clear. He cannot win yet. He's not been able to win yet, and he is not consistent. Yeah. I mean, that's that has been the story of Kimi Raikkonen. Um, has been, you know, literally this this record-setting string of of, uh, of point-scoring finishes of just, you know, there's been lots of crazy races. There's of course been rain, and there's been, you know, uh, just various uh, weird situations. Um, and yet, through all of that, Kimi Raikkonen has just simply not been outside of the top ten. Um, well, I want to run through real quick just to to point out exactly. This is Kimi Raikkonen's race finishes for the last ten rounds. First. Sixth, second, 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 tenth, ninth, fifth, second, second. Okay. Romain Grosjean. <laughs> yeah, okay. this is a, a bit of a zigzag here. <laughs> tenth, sixth, ninth, second or third. I actually can't read that. I think it's third. Third. 22nd, <laughs> 17th, 13th, 19th, third, sixth. I mean... Way less consistent. Yeah, uh, he Way goes from from third to twenty second is uh, is you know obviously not great, and uh, and of course you know crazy stuff can happen to anyone. But Kimi has just been magic at um, avoiding all that and just really um, you know get, getting some smart strategy calls and tires and, yes. and tire wear uh, and and these kind of things. You know that's been um, it's been great. But yeah, from winning the opening round and uh, and you know just just looking strong since then. Um, we see Kimi on average qualifies in a uh, 6.4 spot um, to, ro- to Grosjean's 9.2. So, you know, both averaging within the top 10, but that's, that's a huge gap to get, you know, to qualify ninth. Um, it's not like it's, oh, it's just three positions higher. I mean, to, to you know, out-qualify everyone else to get those three positions higher is, uh, is a big feat that Kimi has been able to do. Um, right. Kimi Raikkonen has completed 100% of laps. I mean, the fact that he's been in the top 10 all those times, he's completed every lap that there has been well, to race. Yeah, Kimi Raikkonen has been... Uh is, is it he's he's got like the longest record of of race finishes, and then maybe the longest strings of point finishes of point as scoring, well. Yeah, yeah. And Beating, I think Schumacher had it before, and now he's at like thirty five or something. So it's like you know a season and a half. It's of, just nuts. Uh, of just you know never retiring really, and uh, and always being in the top ten and and going on from there. It's like uh, the the car keeps going, so I uh, keep going. Right. So Grosjean has outqualified Reckon in twice. Out of eight, out of eight, uh, or out of ten tries. Yeah. Um, so, it's not you know a complete shutout, but uh, at the same time, yeah. So it's the I guess the question is, um, well, there's, there's a couple things. So of course uh, we can't talk about Kimi without talking about the potential for him to be a Red Bull driver next year. Right, which is going to be discussed in a few minutes' time. Okay. And that's kind of what we're getting at. That that's where Lotus is kind of bizarre. It's like they've got one driver that deserves to be 
probably deserves to be in one of the best teams. I mean, he has. He's driven for uh, Sauber. Okay, fine. But he's driven for McLaren and Ferrari already. Mm-hmm. So the idea of him potentially moving to uh, the the other top team, uh, and you could argue that Lotus is one of them there as well. But the last top team that he has not raced for is Mercedes? Red Bull. Oh. <laughs> So, uh, well, I wouldn't rule out Mercedes. Yeah. Well, actually, I'd pretty much rule out Mercedes. Um, and so they have that and Kimi Raikkonen, someone that's probably deserves more than what Lotus could provide. And then at the same time, they have Grosjean, whom I'm not sure has convinced them that he does deserve what uh, the team earns. Maybe that's a good spot for Hulkenberg, for example. Yeah, I was just going to say, for some of these guys that we say, okay, if, you know, to get into a better car, a, a capable car, and the fact that, you know, not only has Kimi been able to um, end up in the top 10 and all these, but also the car has, you know, yes. the, the team around it, you know, we're looking at Force India's, you know, wheel nut problems and all these retirements yes. in the pits. Kimi did not switch out into another team's car. The last <laughs> right. Um, there's, you know, there's just been um, just the team around him, the yeah. driving in the, in the car, the whole thing. Uh, you know, Raikkonen has really just been exceptional and uh, it would be pretty special to see him uh, if it were a, a Vettel Raikkonen lineup next year, just to see how that would play out both on and off the track, of course. But um, I certainly would uh, pick Raikkonen to win in a fight off the track. <laughs> that I'm just going to go out and say. But uh, Unless he's fighting Mark Webber because Webber's got to be scrappy. I don't know, though. Those Finns are famous for being tough dudes, though. Yeah. I mean, think about, like, the big Finnish bodybuilders and stuff. I mean, Kimi Räikkönen may have some of that in his blood, you know what I'm saying? He may. That's... Or maybe he just splashed some blood on Vettel and be like, uh, you'd think of that. And, uh, and that one terrible accent after another. Moving on. <laughs> what? <laughs> Kimi, fantastic driver. Romain, I'm, I'm still not to be convinced. And I'm ready to talk about Ferrari if you are. Let's do that. Okay. This is another one perfectly equal, nothing between them. Um, but no, so couldn't agree with you more. Uh, so Alonso Massa, um, and it, it's, it, what it is is another conversation we just had with Lotus, where one guy's clearly phenomenal, and the other one he's been fighting to keep his job, and we're talking about for multiple seasons now. Right. So um, Massa has outqualified Alonso three times, you know, which is sort of more than you might expect if you just had, you know, hadn't been uh, paying super close attention lately. Um, so it's not a, a complete, you know, it's not as big of a deficit as uh, as Lotus and so on. Um, but, we, I mean, looking at the points here is really the, uh, uh, you know, the big difference. Yes. <laughs> you know? Well, and, and you can start looking at wins and things like that as well. Well, there's wins, uh, two to zero. Yeah, I mean, now we're in the category, finally we have wins. But, um, you know, 133 points earned for Fernando Alonso to 61 for Felipe. You know, that's yes. a huge deficit. And... You know, okay, yeah, you're able to out-qualify, you're able to have some good results every once in a while, but again, even laps completed, Alonso has even only done 91%, but Massa, 83%. You know, that's almost missing out on one in five laps being even run. Yes. Um, including, of course, Silverstone with his tire failure and so on. But um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't expect that we'll see Massa, um, you know, earlier in the season, you know, maybe you'd think, okay, yeah, he's doing well. He had his, his run uh, before uh, Silverstone uh, of an eighth and a sixth, and although before that was 21st. Um, but, you know, he's had some reasonable runs. He's getting some points in the board and so on. But uh, It's still way more point, lopsided. It's still way less consistent. It's, right. You know, if you look at, okay, what would Jules Bianchi do in that car? And, of course, that's a huge jump, you know, to not really even go to a mid-pack team, but to go right from the bottom right up to, to Ferrari or whatever. You know, sometimes that works out well, sometimes not so much. But, um, you know, but uh, it's... 
yeah, Alonso has has really done well, and I think you know, given that car more than it deserves, uh, as 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 Alonso just does, you know, that's just right. what he's able to do out of these cars. And um, I think I think you could argue argue uh, if you if you depending on how you the way you look at these things, even though Ferrari is not the championship winning team every year and has not been for a little while now. Um, the uh, Ferrari is probably the still still the most highly regarded Formula One team in Formula One. I mean, that's a seat that's really hard to give up. We we're we're possibly going to be proven not impossible, but um, it's it's still the team where uh, Fernando Alonso has been given Ferraris as gifts for winning races for the team, like. Which, a Ferrari road car would be pretty freaking awesome gift if my boss is happening to listen to this show. That'd be that'd be an incentive for me to stay forever and ever and ever twice over. Yeah, I I mean you, of course you hear that, but I I feel like okay, you know, Lewis Hamilton makes enough money that if he wanted to and if the marketing weren't awkward, he could go out and buy a Ferrari as well. I mean, you know, if you get to this point, I mean Jensen Button, you know, sold his Veyron a little while ago and it's like if you can afford a Veyron, you can afford several Ferraris. And do that. So yes, the idea that you get this for free—that's very special. But you know, I don't think Sebastian Vettel is having a hard time going to sleep at night thinking, you know, I really wish I could, you know, get a Ferrari for free. It's like, okay, he could get an Infinity FX45 Vettel edition, but he could buy whatever he wants. So <laughs> it doesn't. That that. <laughs> I'm just picturing uh, uh, Fernando in his new Ferrari FF being handed to him. You know, a three hundred fifty thousand dollar car here in the United States. Here, here's your new Ferrari FF, and at the same time, on the same day, Sebastian Vettel be handed the keys to his FX45, like nur, nur, nur. yeah, but and that, nothing against Infinity, but that Infinity doesn't matter because product, because Vettel can on. go out and buy whatever he bloody wants, and but but Fernando doesn't have to because it's given to him. That's cool. Yes, Come on, that is cool. Although you know, McLaren company cars aren't uh, aren't so bad either. If you get a P1 as uh, as a gift, I mean, I guess you have to win something first for that to happen. Well, but mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Um, and you know, even the Mercedes. There's uh, there's some hot cars there too. You know, Red Bull. It's like here's your case of Red Bull, <laughs> <laughs> and the keys to an infinity. Okay, and and you know, several billions worth of dollars. Yeah. Then there's the dollar exactly. So it comes back around. You know, the, these guys. When we're in the top teams here, you know, Raikkonen could could buy a Ferrari if there he wanted to. There are moments where I might prefer a case of Red Bull over an infinity. <laughs> <laughs> over owning a vehicle. Well, whatever. Uh, I, okay. That's that's probably wrong. That's that's dumb. <laughs> You're being dumb. <laughs> oh man. So I mean what but is there do, to say about think, Ferrari? Do you think, well, do you think Massa deserves to keep the seat? No. Yeah, I it's <laughs> tough. I no, I I I He's don't, got moments, but it's not enough moments. I want I want to disagree with you, but I can't. And I I think I think that's it's just really strong for him. It's really hard for him to get back to the level where he used to be when Ferrari was much closer to a fair is fair kind of team in 2007-2008 Kimi Raikkonen won the world championship Ferrari Massa didn't get in the way in 2008 Massa was making the run for the world championship Kimi Raikkonen didn't get in the way it was even and he felt good 2009 happened drivers change up happened um, spring to the face not good I can say I can say with more empathy than I used to used to be able to say that hand injuries suck, and uh, 
So there's certainly no discounting that what he went through was really terrible. And the fact that he could get back in the car uh, as quickly as he did is really wonderful. But maybe he just couldn't quite, couldn't turn it up quite as far as he used to be able to. And maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe that's not the case at all. And maybe it just is that he's been beaten down as a driver emotionally because Fernando has been given so much uh, superiority in terms of what he needs out of the car and what he gets out of the car and just the way the team operates that he's just dejected and he just can't motivate himself to bring himself to the best. None of that almost matters. It's just like, okay, these are terrible things. But it is also a truly miraculous, wonderful thing to be in Formula 1 in the first place. And then another level beyond that to be at Ferrari. And he's, he's, he's been able to do that for, what, six, seven years yeah, now? So he's quite actually the veteran driver now. Um, so I could see Massa um, doing well, actually what a lot of the Brazilian drivers do, um, would be to come and possibly do uh, some racing like could be an IndyCar, you know. Uh, and we've seen, obviously, Rubens Barrichello, um, but a lot of the Brazilian guys, it's it's on the right, you know, same time zones to be in the U.S. You're a lot closer. You're not always going off to you Europe. You live in Miami. You, yeah, you can, you know, be, you have your family closer by, whatever. And that's where, you know, he could be very competitive in that kind of a series, and it could be back to sort of being reinvigorated and fun. Yes. Um, and, you know, sort of... It, Whatever, hang out with with there's there's a you know pretty big community of Brazilian drivers in uh, in IndyCar and then you know some of the uh, some of the other NASCAR and Rolex and the, you know the other sort of you see uh, like I saw Rubens Barrichello driving a Grand Am car at uh, Indianapolis you know a couple weeks ago you know these guys show up in in various places and I feel like that's you know not not the worst way uh, in the world that you can live your life so uh, there is oh, life or, after second driver at uh, at Ferrari uh, from Formula One. Well, I mean we're jumping ahead a tiny bit in a way here, but. You know, could also go the Mark Webber route, I'm sure, and could find a pretty darn decent seat in the World Endurance Championship. Right. And there'd be a lot of good in that. You know, following in the, the footsteps of Kamui Kobayashi, for example. <laughs> it's a Ferrari GT driver now. Um, okay, well, shall we uh, yes. talk about the bowl in the room? I would say we should start with Mercedes first, but I was going to yeah, say if you okay. agree. Yeah, okay, I was going to say, because I was like, oh, Mercedes? Yeah, um, Mercedes is uh, actually not German for bowl. But um, we should talk about them nonetheless. Yes. So 208 points, uh, oh, just a handful ahead of Ferrari and Lotus. So this right now Mercedes is best of the rest <laughs> behind Red Bull. Yes. Um, and in the lead between the, them, Ferrari and Lotus. But that, I think, will change over, over the course of the season. You know, we don't know um, exactly who's where, but uh, that's, that's one of those that's still uh, shaking around. Uh, but, dude, man, Lewis, uh, you know, making the crazy move to say, hey, I'm going to quit my job at McLaren and go be a driver for Mercedes – as uh, Schumacher left, uh, and it's it's come good for him. Um, yeah, it, it's it's sticking. There's there's no other way to say it. He um, he made the move, and uh, you know McLaren faltered a little bit. Mercedes had been improving, had been thriving, and he couldn't have timed it better. And just to be a growth for growth as a person, to be able to get away from the team that he had been at since childhood, and really say, "I'm my own man now." I'm, I'm doing my own thing in the team. Just a brilliant move for him. And he's, and he's doing fantastically well here. His average qualifying position is the best of anyone. Hmm. He's, he's, he averaged, his average position on the grid is 2.6. So that means um, he is, going, in average, either going to be second or third um, on the grid. That is better than Sebastian Vettel, among other folks. So he's done a phenomenally good job there. This is, by the way, his first year at the new team, whereas Nico Rosberg has been at the team for a few years now. So 
lots of huge accolades here. Um, he's also got a race win, and uh, that's great. That said, I think what I want to make sure we avoid is discounting Nico Rosberg's performance. Nico has won twice. He was the one that started getting the Mercedes on the pole earlier than the season. Here's that bias again. <laughs> Just hate Lewis so much. Um, no, but seriously, I mean, you know, Nico got it on the pole in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round of the championship. Um, and then, Which were the only times he outqualified Hamilton. Hamilton, the other seven times, was faster than Rosberg. Fair enough, but he he's... He's, like I said, won twice and also had worse luck. I mean, Lewis Hamilton's completed 100% of the laps available. Nico Rosberg, only 88%. And this time we happen to know that most of that was just bad luck for Nico. That wasn't, um, that wasn't something that uh, Nico caused to himself. And in addition to that, we also know uh, earlier in the season, was it China, where... Um, the team, Nico, was gaining on Lewis Hamilton big time and was set up to be able to finish on the podium, and the team held him back. Yeah, Malaysia. And, and Malaysia, and he honored that. So I'm not discounting Lewis's ability here. It's been phenomenal. Lewis is probably the most naturally talented driver in Formula One. But I think it's important that we make sure to give Nico credit where credit's due, and that Nico has done a really good job in this team. Yeah, so it's a slightly interesting dynamic, too, that Nico is technically the number one driver at Mercedes. Um, so it'd be interesting to know, you know, some teams it's very clear and some teams it's not in terms of who is who is actually number one and who is then treated as number one. Right, right. Uh, you know, it's Sauber, Hulkenberg is number one, and he's outqualified Gutierrez, you know, 10 to zero. And obviously we know at Red Bull it's all about Vettel and, you know, Alonso, Raikkonen. But at Mercedes, you know, Rosberg, because he's probably just because he's got the history with the team, it was his fourth year instead of first um, with Mercedes, that um, he is the number one driver and Hamilton is, is number two. Um, but that, you know, at the end of the day, um, let's actually look at the points because I don't know. Um, well, uh, Lewis Hamilton scored 124, Nico Rosberg 84. Yeah, so. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 124. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, that's still 84. Right. Yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> I looked at the average. I'm like, oh, no, 12.4 and 8.4. But it's been 10 races. Funny that math funny thing. How, funny how that works out. So, yeah, I mean, it, I would really say, I would really put Lewis as the, the number one driver. And I guess you could say that he's the, um, you know, sort of the, the flash of brilliance guy and uh, Rosberg is more consistent, but it's not really panning out to be that way. I mean, it's, it's Hamilton. It, no, that's, that's a really well put thing that just the problem is, is that there's a lot of flashes. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, like you say, that, that, that Lewis has the overall highest qualifying position. And if you average it to third, then he's tied with, with Vettel. But the fact that, you know, statistically or numerically, it is the best of anyone um, is really pretty special. But the fact that, uh, so Rosberg, of course, with two wins, that's 50 points right there. And then it's, you know, out of his total of 84. So it's like championship-wise, uh, you know, it's not about wins. It's about it's not a medal system that we work on. It's just about consistency and points. And, you know, luck is what it is, right? I mean, there are some times where completely out of your control, something really crazy happens. But at the same time, uh, we see, you know, drivers that it's sort of, hey, the, the harder you work or the better you are communication with your team or whatever it is, does that mean your luck gets better? Or does that mean you're just able to execute on what needs to happen better, uh, it's a it's a it's a good question. I actually was uh, had a conversation with uh, a guy who used to be a mechanic for 
uh, Yarno Trulli's car when he was in the Caterham, but it was Lotus back then, but ah, green okay. Lotus, not okay. black and gold Lotus. And, um, and saying so, and it was Heikinen, Heikinen, Heike Kovalainen and Yarno Trulli were the guys. And Heike, Wait, I thought you were trying to say Heineken. No. And the answer is no, not yet. Okay. Um, you know, so Heike, Dang it! <laughs> so Heineken, we'll call him, um, was was just very gracious with his with his team with his uh, his mechanics and all that and sort of you know giving them gifts and and being you uh, really just friendly with them and communicating and so on. This and, would be Hecky Kovalainen. Yes, or Heineken as he's known. Ah. Um, and Yarno truly not so much. Um, and and then we sort of you know you look at a couple of these well, years and you say okay, some well, of those mechanics were on his lawn. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I'm sorry. In podcasting history, that's probably one of the funniest lines ever. Right. That's uh, that's a throwback. Yeah, my lawn. To, what Brazil 2009? Yes. 10? I don't even know. It was Brazil of 10, I think. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Get off my lawn. <laughs> but uh, so not. No so, one knows what we're talking. No, about. I do, and <laughs> you're just trying to derail me here. Oh, you were talking about Heineken. Yes. Um, but so, Yarno truly, uh, you know, just not so friendly with his mechanics and the sort of, you know, quote unquote, his luck was, was worse that year. It's like, well, is that really luck? It's like, oh, look, something broke on the car. You know, it's not that I don't think, you know, none of his mechanics are sabotaging him, but is there that extra level of, you know, hey, I noticed something that's kind of on the threshold, but yeah, maybe I'll let that go versus right. like, hey, I really want to do everything I possibly can. Or um, maybe to- in Hecky's car, it's like, okay, everything looks good. Better take it one more time just in case. Because, well, right. you, you know, he gave like, me this okay, bottle of wine good. and he had me over for some golf or whatever. You know, so what, it's like this, <laughs> it's this weird golf. thing behind the scenes that you'd like to think that it's this, you know, this machine behind every car that just maintains it and pre- prepares it and, you know, calls a strategy for it and all that. But it's people at every step of the way. And, of course, there is subject to some variation there. So the luck angle on it, I guess I don't put as much... Um, uh, you know, I, I don't like to sort of trust as much and say, oh, well, it's, it's just bad luck or it's just this. And I don't have any reason to think that Nico Rosberg is, you know, a dick to his mechanics either. But um, <laughs> but just just to sort of, you know, as uh, as one potential counterpoint, there's, you know, sometimes a little bit more to it than uh, than just, you know, what the luck is in a situation. Fair enough. Well, um, I, uh, we're going to get to the top of the teams here, which... I think is actually not worth talking about too much, except that it's a wonderful segue into the next topic. Um, Mark Weber not performing as well as Sebastian Vettel. That is the case for the fourth year in a row, basically. And uh, Mark knows it, and he's moving on. I think the move that Mark's making um, to be a, a, a lead driver in a great marquee into a very interesting, exciting championship is the best possible move for him. I couldn't be happier for him. Of course, he's moving to Porsche, who is building a brand new uh, prototype car that that they're going to try to achieve the overall win in uh, Le Mans and the championship. Brilliant. Wonderful, wonderful position for Mark to be in. And we can't wait to see him uh, race at Le Mans. Sebastian Vettel, as he has been for a while now, Doing very well, out-qualifying Mark Webber handedly, out-racing Mark Webber handedly, 172 points earned versus 105. It's just pretty clear. But this gets into the bigger question. Now, do you have anything else to say about team rival, uh, inner-team rivalry here, or should we move on to the 
who's taking the 2014 seat? Uh, just to put a couple of numbers behind it. So as we talked about, Sebastian Vettel on average, um, you know, qualifying position is 2.7. Marks is 6.9. I would have thought, you know, in, in years past, I remember that being kind of third, fourth, fifth. But uh, the fact that it's basically seventh place as average um, does tell me it's not only the uh, that, okay, Vettel's being faster than him, but we haven't seen as many one-two um, you know, results. It's not uh, either the qualifying or the race. It's not so much like, oh, it's Vettel, then Weber, then everybody else, which is sort of was the deal last year and, you know, some of the, some of the past. Right. Um, but it's, it's now, you know, maybe Vettel's up there, maybe, you know, Rosberg, Hamilton, Raikkonen, whatever. But, but Weber really just has, I, I think, you know, the motivation is different. The mindset is different. He's been getting good points for the team. And as we said, that for the constructors championship has been huge. Um, Cause, but, but yeah, I mean, for uh, what is it, average race position for Vettel is actually fourth and for Weber sixth. So both of those are plenty of points and, and that's doing the thing for, you know, he's sort of towing the corporate line at this point. But I feel like that's the mindset he's in is I'm here to do a job. I show up and I do my job and then I go home and that is what it is. Right. As opposed to really like, you know, re-energizing his career by going to Le Mans and so on. And as I understand it, the, um, the Le Mans deal with Porsche is all backed by Red Bull as well. So that is... Um, I think that was the the nature of the, that so? of the conversation with Helmut Marco and whatever was like, okay, we've got a problem here. I'm not happy with this. You guys aren't really happy with this. This is an issue. We keep butting heads with Vettel and so on. And if part of the deal was like, okay, we still want Vettel to be our boy, but how about this offer? And here's an idea with, you know, we're putting together this program with Porsche and there's money here and there's money there and blah, blah, blah. So I think, you know, being able to, um, you know, it's like he's maybe still got goodwill with, the, the organization, and so the idea of just being a corporate driver and bringing home good points, and, you know, it's not a not quite, a, you know, obviously we're halfway through the season, but um, wouldn't be the toughest thing in the world for Red Bull to continue on and probably win the Constructors' Championship. And so, in a way, Weber's doing exactly what Red Bull wants, you know, supporting Vettel and becoming driver's champion again, probably. Um, and uh, the, uh, and then, but, but, you know, but really for the team getting that constructors championship. So Weber's just doing everything the bosses want. He's like, fine, screw it. I'll stay out of Vettel's way. I won't make a fuss and I'll do my thing. And then next year I'm going to go be number one and go, go, yeah. you know, kick some yeah. ass. So, um, like I, 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 yeah, I'm in agreement with that. He's, he's not, you know, not doing great, but he's, he's doing the thing. And I mean, uh, let's not forget in 2010, there was, there was real chance and real hope that it was going to be Mark Weber that was going to be world champion, not Sebastian Vettel. Right. And it just kind of fell apart for him in the last couple of races, which is a little bit of a shame, but really did set the tone for uh, the years following. And, you know, even in 2010, you know, Mark Weber had to overcome a little bit of adversity here and there. Um, but he is slowly but surely making himself part of the past, which means that seat is going to be open. In many ways, it is the most coveted seat in Formula One. Who's going to take it? Daniel Ricciardo. You think so? I think so. Well, so, okay, so the... There's, officially there three, speaking... There were three right. rumors. There were three rumors. Officially. Psh. Yeah, I guess officially it doesn't matter. Daniel Ricciardo was definitely considered, and I don't think that's a bad option necessarily. Um, but uh, And then also, Kimi Raikkonen had been talked about quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And But what came into the news more recently and just started gaining more than zero amount of traction was uh, Fernando Alonso. Right. Let me tell you the thing about the traction in the news. When there's no racing for four weekends, the news is going to take whatever little nugget they can find 
and go crazy with it. So I, I personally don't uh, put much stock in the Alonso to Red Bull rumors. Uh, the fact, I mean, he has a contract for Ferrari, that really doesn't actually mean anything. I mean, we've seen enough times in recent years, especially at the sharp end of the grid when there's, you know, millions of dollars involved and big sponsorship deals and, and all these things. You know, contracts can be changed and, and you know, voided and, pay, you know, bought out and so on. So, um, you know, the idea, I mean, that was uh, famously Alonso moving from Renault to Ferrari was to break out of his contract uh, yeah. or, to, or to McLaren and then break out of the contract and, and you know, end up Ferrari and the whole thing. Like, so the fact that it's like, well, he's got a contract. Okay, I realize that doesn't necessarily actually mean much of anything. It's just, you know, oh, that means $20 million will change hands from some rich guy to some other rich guy. And then, oh, <laughs> look, the contract magically is okay now. So um, I don't think it's because of that, but just um, I realize that there are, it's, it's a, there's a frustrating um, position, you know, and, and Alonso was, um, you know, after after Hungary, you know, he said with the car was it was embarrassing that you know the, the performance of the Ferrari was embarrassing and so on. And there, there's this sort of big back and forth with the team. But um, I think the fact that um, you know he can he can say that openly, he's sort of comfortable enough with the team that uh, he can speak candidly as you know not as sort of the the corporate driver kind of I'm just here to toe the party line and Ferrari is amazing, but to sort of be able to say when things are going well and when things aren't. And there's sort of, there's enough interest in Fernando Alonso, the driver, and, and you know, and I think that meshes well with Ferrari, the brand and the, the company and the whole thing, that um, I feel like it's a really good fit. I think he said he's going to end his career at, at Ferrari. Which, yeah, and I again, remember him saying that too. Um, which again could change. I mean, you know, millions of dollars can change anyone's mind. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I think, like you say, he, he gets the, you know, the company Ferraris every once in a while. That's great. But just sort of, where he fits in with the company and, and how he fits into their whole thing. Um, I think it would be excellent for him. Of course, it'd be excellent for him to win a championship at Ferrari and, uh, and, you know, have that in his collection, but um, to be, you know, double world championship uh, winner with Renault in uh, 05, 06, and to then go on and drive for some of the best teams, um, then I feel like that's enough rather than um, I, f- I think he would be more concerned about, if I were him, I would be more concerned about, you know, getting in bed with Red Bull and then being uh, Vettel's teammate, maybe a bit like being Lewis's teammate at McLaren. Right, um, right, and that's the that's the thing I not, started thinking about yeah. too. Is how would that friction work? Because Fernando definitely does uh, do do well with having a supportive teammate. Now, not necessarily happy to be a supportive teammate as Massa, but he's been a supportive teammate, and that works really well for. Um, uh, for Massa, and when you think back to 0506, I'm trying to think was that Fisichella as teammate in the Renault? Yeah, um, or was it Heidfeld one of those years? I think uh, Truly was there at one point. Well, but anyway, anyway yeah. it were you know who's a good teammate? Nelson Piquet Jr. He'll crash for you. Yeah. <laughs> he when he was at Renault and won the World Championships, he was not in a threatening position. When he was at McLaren for that year, Hamilton was threatening position. Alonso still drove really, really well, but, you know, there were like issues. Right. Didn't like it. Right. Ended up back at Renault, then to Ferrari. So it, it's a weird thing, and I do think that Ferrari is a better fit for Fernando. And, um, you know, all these things that we're talking about now, that's more or less gone away. Fernando is not, you know, the evil mustache whisker guy anymore. He was now... He's just now a really, really fast Spaniard, and that's the end of it. Right. So, of course, things can change, and there, you know, we don't have any inside, inside information on this. But 
Um, so, I mean, you know, I don't think that, that, that the Alonzo to Red Bull thing is going to happen. Is, are you thinking there's a chance of that, or based on this conversation, talking I, yourself out of it? I think it's going to be Raikkonen. Okay. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, if, 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 if Ricardo goes to Red Bull, that opens up an STR seat, which there's probably going to be some shuffling around of, okay, who gets that seat? Is it another Red Bull guy right. or whatever? But it's not quite as juicy as if Raikkonen goes there, then what does Lotus look like? Do they keep Grosjean as then, like, oh, some continuity from last year? And that's truly a main, that's a maybe, I right. would say. And then, you know, but, like, if, if that could be a spot for Hulkenberg or uh, DeResta or Sotil, even, you know, any of these guys, um, or is, uh, you know, I mean, Checo's got, what, a five-year deal with McLaren? Three-year. Uh, three, okay. Um, but still, I mean... Uh, again, could change, but it's like you wonder... And McLaren having what we can say, we can't even say that McLaren won't be pretty strong by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Probably not super strong, but they'll keep improving. McLaren's still a powerhouse team, I would imagine, that this isn't... This is unlikely to be the beginning of McLaren's major downfall. Right, and it will be, you know, McLaren-Honda in a few years' time anyway. And 2015, be, yeah, be, which, you know, which would be cool. Right, so, you know, there should be, hopefully, you know, as we're just talking about Honda and engine technology, hopefully what we said about that is not the same trajectory, that uh-huh. Honda will come up with an awesome turbo V6 F1 engine, and uh, that, you know, everything will be great, and uh, they'll, they'll move forward. But, um, yeah, so... Uh, so you think it'll go with with, uh, with Raikkonen, and I guess you know we can. You just um, can't. Here's here's why you can't deny. Raikkonen is not contracted next year, which will save a couple of rich people a couple of dollars, and um, you cannot deny his pace and speed. And I think Red Bull is in this weird place where yeah they have two Formula One teams, and yeah one team was in a way meant to support the other, and. In my opinion, they were very successful at that. They they found a driver that they eventually got into the junior Formula One team. He won, in he won in that junior Formula One team. They moved him up big team, and boom, world championships, sweet. But to me, that doesn't mean you have to follow the rules. You don't have to keep it within some specific metric. So if a really fast driver is available, take him. And let's not forget that. Um, Vettel's fortunes could change. You know, he could, for whatever reason, the way they construct the tire for 2014 or the way the engines work in 2014 might not suit Vettel's driving as well as the current formula has worked. And maybe he's not quite as quick. I mean, there's a lot of those kind of factors that can, you know, pull someone from the top. Yeah, although we don't know that Raikkonen will necessarily be any better. Although having no, two, of you know, not. Yeah. having two bullets in your gun, if you will, <laughs> is that your version of a poem? No, um, <laughs> well, to mess with you, sure. Um, but having two, you know, two fast drivers to work with. But in a way, I guess if you're Red Bull, do you want a different formula than what you've got? I mean, you've got Vettel, which is just the you know dominant craziness and finger that he is. Um, and then you've and got finger. and you've got the supportive second driver, you know, bringing home just you know points and points and points and points, but not being fast enough to cause enough tension and rivalry and, and whatever. I mean, you know, fast enough to cause some tension, but not um, you know nothing nothing crazy within the team. I feel like what they've got is exactly what they want. They're winning constructors championships all over the place, and then drivers championships back to back to back. So 
in a way, I mean, okay, things, things of course do change, but how much do you want to rock that boat? If they were to bring up Ricardo, have him in the team, okay, he's got the speed and he's their, their next guy to build up, then in another couple, you know, a couple more years, if Vettel decides he, either he wants to, you know, pull a Hamilton and go change teams <laughs> and go crazy with another, you know, to sort of prove himself or for his own enjoyment or whatever, or just says, you know what, hey, I've had an awesome career, I'm, I'm done, um, and go retire and be, you know, a rich guy somewhere making money, um, then... Uh, fair enough. <laughs> then you've a got this guy somewhere making money. Then you've got Ricardo, who's at that point, you know, been with the team for a while and has some, you know, has some history. Probably has some good pace and can can move forward. But if you've got Raikkonen, I don't think. Um, I mean, Raikkonen is second in the championship right now. He's just behind Vettel alone. Um, but it hasn't been the case that you know. I, I guess the question is, would there be a clear uh, number one? between the two of them and, and we don't know but I would expect that it would still be Vettel. I mean with the way the the way the organization works around him right now and so on, that um you know I don't think we have reason to believe, you know, Kimi is going to um you know really get faster in certain ways. He's sort of he's he's obviously regained uh the skill that he had and the you know the sharpness and the, the ability and so on. Um but I don't think it's the case that um, he's he's you know a spring chicken on his way up uh, like Ricardo probably is, so it's like Certainly. is that is that a longer term strategy? Is that something that works? Or they say, hey, we just do this for 2014 but, and see, see what that's happens. That's exactly why I think that's one of the reasons why I think Kimi is almost a stronger candidate. Is you probably got you know two three more seasons out of Raikkonen, you know maybe a little bit more, but it's not like Raikkonen's a ten year deal. Do you know what I mean? Like he so that. That is a driver that is available, would not necessarily be hugely expensive, and and uh, in a few years' time, you could you know re-engage and go to a different strategy, and you could go back. You could, I mean, you could still, if you want to, go back to Ricardo. Then, if you wanted to, if you go to Ricardo, you can't then get Raikkonen later, right? But Raikkonen, I don't think, will be a threat to them. And if they have Vettel and the solid number two, I feel like, I don't know, I think the Raikkonen thing is rocking the boat, which sometimes boats rock and sometimes people like that. So, um, that you know, I don't, certainly I admit that possibility. And as Christian Horner would say, those are those are the options. Okay. Um, but, uh, Fair you enough. know, Listen, I'll be interested right. to see actually what our listeners think about, uh, have to say about that. Well, we're not there yet, and this is why. Well, we don't know. We've just, we're just asking them now. So for now, oh. if you go to funwithcars.com and go let us know. There. Do it now. Do it. Yes. Yes. I'm yes. pointing my finger in the general position. I'm point- no, I'm pointing it east. I'm looking at you, Europe. So you have some questions to answer because I told you, yes, okay, I, I'll, agree. I'll agree to have a show about teams, but you have to answer some more serious questions afterwards. And you said, okay, begrudgingly, but you said it. Did I say that? Yes. So, I want to know some other things, some other mid-season contests, and this is across the driver's lineup, of who's done the best and who's done the worst. Okay. Okay. Best dressed Formula One driver. As in, like, in their driving suits? This is open forum. This is in any way, shape, or form. But this is wearing clothes. This is not the best naked, because that's a different kind of show. Jackie Stewart with the plaid. He's got a look. You didn't say current F1 drivers either, by the way. That's true. I didn't. I did mean current. Oh. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know. These... Uh... Okay, you failed that one. Best haircut. Well, who do you think? Best haircut in Formula 1. Current drivers, by the way, 
Don't go Stuart on me again. <laughs> <laughs> Would he get the nod for the haircut? I don't think so. Um, best haircut? Yeah. That's dumb. It's it, it it's a question that you must answer honestly. Nobody has any good haircuts right now. I mean, there's there's like. I mean, I, f- I feel like uh, Alonzo has gotten, especially with, you know, occasionally with, like, kind of the beard That's thing That's wrong, Romain Grosjean. Okay. Which one, which driver would be, would have the most successful career were they not in Formula One? And what would it be? Um, Nico Rosberg running a pub. That one's fascinating. He'd be that great at it. It's, it's incorrect. Oh. It'd be Jensen Button. It would have something to do with... Um, Maybe in Santander commercials? Gentlemen's Club. Um, hmm. Yeah, and it would be a gentleman's club that hires Tony Stewart, by the way. Did you see that Mobile One commercial? I know, talking about advertisements, but it's the one where... You're Jensen, talking about Soda Cookie again? Yes! Jensen Button's stretching. He's talking about the importance of stretching. Yeah, it's dumb. And then Tony Stewart's talking about stretching. It's made to appeal to, like, seven-year-olds, which is why you love it. Which is ironic that I love something children's like, because you're usually the one on Twitter, which is the children's toy. The, yeah, and he stretches. He does the full splits, and he has a, an Oreo cookie dunked in Coke, and he calls it a soda cookie. Yes. And he goes, mm, soda cookie. Yes, I've seen that. Have you, though, seen the the new Santander commercial with Jensen Button where it's like this weird buildup of like he's kind of dancing around and uh, it's it's supposed to be like a, making fun of a perfume commercial and it's this weird setup, but then there's no punchline. The commercial just ends and it's like, was that a joke or were they like, it was like, okay, it's being over the top stupid, but then it's just over the top stupid with no like funny payoff. So it's poor student, as in P-O-U-R. Jensen Button Santander bank commercial. Yeah. Okay. All right. This now, I will admit, is a good time for us to hear what the listeners have to say. So, just before we get into listener feedback, having just watched the Jensen Button Santander bank commercial, I think we should say, honestly, that the soda cookie commercial isn't so bad. Come on. Okay, just because he does other dumb commercials does not mean that the soda cookie commercial well, is that, any better. The, the problem is is the, the soda cookie commercial was supposed to be goofy and silly, and it was goofy and silly. Yeah. The Santander bank commercial was supposed to be clever and coy and was not. It was just silly. Because the whole point was is like, oh, it's like a perfume, but it's actually not. It's about this student rail card, and that's convenient for students. But it's not clever at all. It's just dumb. Right. Soda cookie. Soda cookie is dumb. All right. Soda cookie served its purpose. We need to move on. Santander baked did not. Right. Because soda cookie was trying to appeal to seven-year-olds, and it worked. And it worked. Who is this trying to appeal to? I don't know. Students. Santander bank cookie. Well, students. (laughs) Bank cookie. All right. Bank cookie. Yeah, you're cut off. Listener feedback. It's a better thing anyway. Okay, so... Um, you, you might have noticed if you're paying attention uh, closely that um, we took um, – I was I was shot jabs for being anti-Lewis Hamilton. And that was actually um, – that was actually poking just very mild fun at a comment we got from uh, Mr. Jim Helwig about um, my uh, bias against Lewis Hamilton, which uh, I, I – I understand his quip. Uh, I respectfully disagree. I think 
I'm pretty unbiased. Yes, I do have what many would call an unhealthy affection for Jensen Button in a professional sense, but um, what? I don't have any anti-Lewis uh, Hamilton bias. It's just I just I think it's important to not just let uh, Nico Rosberg get brushed aside solely because it's Lewis Hamilton. In the most recent races, uh, Lewis Hamilton has absolutely shined. And, uh, you know, there's there's no denying that. But uh, I think Nico Rosberg has also done quite, quite well. And that's, that's the only point that uh, the podcast before and the one we're doing now, that's the only point we were trying to get across. So it's like an affirmative action thing for you now. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. Oh, boy. Just trying silly, to... Silly, silly man. So um, Matt Pattinson... Oh, sorry, Pattinson... Yes. There's only one N in Patterson. Um, has emailed us. Um, I thought it was Patterson and then. No. Oh. No, it's, it's not Finnish. Then we, okay. Are you Finnish? Huh? Um, <laughs> he sends us, sent us an email with a photo. says, Gents, I've been a bit out of the loop in the last couple of weeks and missed the Hungarian Grand Prix. Sounds like it was a good one from their ports, and it was. Uh, it if you was. can find it online somewhere, I recommend that you go watch it because it was a good one and because there's nothing else for F1 on TV for another two weeks. But, uh, however, I was out for a good reason. I've been road testing a t-shirt in harsh and challenging conditions. The shirt has done 6,000 miles across the length and breadth of California in the last three weeks, including trips to Yosemite and Death Valley. It survived extremely well and only needed a wash to return to as new condition. Um, I, was, I was a bit disappointed not to meet a few fellow Fun With Cars fans on the trip, but you can't have everything. Thanks for the great podcast and many more to come. And he's got a picture of himself at Death Valley National Park with the t-shirt from a podcast, which is... I don't know. I don't know whatever happened to that show. It was called the F1 show, but that sounds really copyrighted and dangerous. Yeah, so. I, I, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't want to have any official affiliation with that because that I think has official affiliation with something it shouldn't have. Yeah, or unofficial. That sounds. That sounds tricky. Um, I wonder if it's a show about top tier motor racing. I, it might be. So, so California is not six thousand miles across. So you've been doing quite a bit of backsy forcey. To, yes. to find 6,000 miles in but California. California is a big state. It's and a big state. And were you to go back and forth certain areas a number of times, you, you could certainly get up to 6,000. Right. And is it what, probably 1,000 miles top to bottom or so? Uh, I bet it's a little more than that. Yeah. Because uh, Texas is 900 across. Yeah. And I think California is taller than Texas is wide. Yeah. You know what's really big? Alaska. <laughs> this is true. That's a big one. That's also not where he was. Right. But thank you very much for the oh, uh, for the feedback. That's very very cool. And we're actually, I mean, phew, timing. Who knows? We we hope to have um, fun with car sh- shirts to be able to uh, provide. And we are currently in uh, road testing those ourselves, of course. And they need to go through many many durability tests before we offer them to anyone else because we only have the highest possible standards. And also, we don't yet have a logo that we're both happy with. But hey, that's 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 one. That's also, part of the. the it's, there's a lot of ins, a lot a, of outs, exactly. a lot of what That's have part you. of the durability testing. <laughs> kind of. But anyway, it was a very cool picture to get. Thank you very very much. So we haven't had a lot of activity on hash fun with or sorry hash fw cars on Twitter. Uh, I did uh, put out the uh, little message today to say, hey, who wants a uh, who wants to show a mid season update. And uh, we did get uh, some word back. So it's good to know that you guys are still out there, still following us, and uh, keeping an eye on the old hashtag and uh, at FunWithCars on Twitter. So um, just a quick thanks to Mark Rutherford, Ryan Higgins, David Lewin, Michael Washington, Ewan McMorrow, Leon Lister, um, Martin Jensen, and the Hornets, who thank you can thank them 
for the bouffant uh, poetry this week, <laughs> uh, because that was uh, that was courtesy of the Hornets. And I also, for the Facebook people, I want to say thank you to the Kilt, uh, Bernard A, Sean Scanlon, and Neil Popham, and uh, all the uh, David Stevens, all the usual folks that uh, keeping uh, our Facebook page a fun and active place to be. Really interesting news topics, things like that. Much, much appreciated. And uh, also, on a quick personal note, and this is kind of loosely tied to it, um, a big shout-out to my wife and all the other people that uh, know about this. This is We've we've now made it past the six-month mark of my um, unplanned vacation in California that uh, involved a new haircut. And um, so I just want to say thank you for everyone there that's been supportive. There's just a tiny little overlap between people that listen to the podcast and people that uh, know about my fall that caused me problems, and that's why I mentioned it. Your amateur bridge diving accident. My amateur bridge diving. Yeah, yeah. Depth of water, way more important than I was told. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. But yeah, no, good good news that, uh, yeah, man, you're, you're back at it, uh, working, driving cars, testing, doing all the stuff, and uh, obviously podcasting as well, although we were at podcasting just weeks after the uh, yeah. the thing itself. So I, I am very happy that I do not have to podcast with a wired shut jaw anymore. That is, that is a perk. Yes, and luckily your mind works well enough to come up with poetry, so we've all got that to thank for something. That is, that is why I'm a candidate for savanthood right there. Is that even a thing? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Well, they, they would call me Savant Robin. Okay. instead of Saint, you get the Savant part. Because hmm. the Savant is... Savant, by the way, I was told, means something that's entirely positive. Good. In every way. Good. All right. So, we don't have predictions, because we already made predictions, because we are just those kind of guys. But yeah. I think and for this time... To them. Well, for this time, I guess, that what we'll have for our, for our predictions out of this episode yes. will be what we what we've basically just made is... Um, is what is the driver lineup for next year? Okay, who Ooh. who changes to where? Ooh. Is, uh, and so we won't have a whole section for it, but just a, the quick thing. So as I said, I think it's going to be Sebastian Vettel at Red Bull, uh, <laughs> but of course with Daniel Ricciardo alongside. Okay. Um, and uh, and um, I think uh, so. It's just so we'll just pick um, top three. Um, so Mercedes, I don't think it's going to change. So it's going to be – so predict. Who do you think will be at Red Bull, uh, Ferrari, and Lotus? Oh, okay. I like this. All right. Um, so That's I, interesting because when you come up with ideas, we both like them. When I come up with ideas, I like them. But they rhyme. They do rhyme. Sometimes. <laughs> um, so, okay. So I think, uh, I think we're going to have – and I'm just doing this on the fly. So this is as, you know, lame as it gets. Um, I do think we'll get Ricardo at Red Bull. Um, and then Ferrari, of course, Alonso. Um, I don't know, though. Yeah, that if was dramatic pause. If it's I thought be... you were going to say something big, like Mark Webber. I was going to say, <laughs> oh, I, was, I was like, what if Raikkonen goes back to Ferrari? But I just don't think that that's... Uh... I, that, to me, seems very unlikely. Yeah, well, so does Raikkonen going to Red Bull, but you're only geeked about Raikkonen. Um, <laughs> um, so, I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to say Duresta... At uh, at Ferrari. Oh my goodness! Wow. And then uh, Lotus, I think, is going to actually carry on with who they've got. So keeping Grosjean. All right. Year. Starting at Red Bull, I agree that Sebastian Vettel will be there for 2014. 
Um, I disagree, however, about Daniel Ricardo. I think it will be Kimi Raikkonen. Are you writing this down, by the way? Because we have to see how wrong we are when this no, actually I happens. No, I am not. Okay, I'm I not for exactly that reason. <laughs> I will write it down right now because we are recording that, and this is in in the podcast archive forever. It's in the books. So okay. Uh, and did you do Lotus next, or then Ferrari next? I did Ferrari next. Okay. So Ferrari, yeah, I I think Sebastian uh, Sebastian. I think Fernando Alonso will stay at the team. I think Massa will be on his way out. However, I have a harder see- I have a harder time seeing Duresta make hay at the Ferrari team. And the Jules Bianchi thing. The, the is it thing, time yet though? You know, is he the, ready? Will well, that that's happen? exactly it. Yeah. It makes me think about the Sergio Perez thing, right? Because Sergio Perez was tested by Ferrari and they were showing interest, but then they said, "Oh no, 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 it's too soon." So. I'm actually, ironically enough, going to go the exact opposite direction you and say Nico Hulkenberg Ooh. takes uh, the second Ferrari seat. I like that. Um, Not as much as mine, but I like <laughs> it. And then that leaves an open spot at Lotus, perhaps, too. Yes. I... Ooh, I, now you got to pick two for Lotus. Well, that's the thing. I have a hard time. I, I do genuinely believe that Romain shows proper speed, but... He's had now lots of opportunities to prove his consistency, and it's just not—it's just not showing up. So that makes life difficult. I so does Massa go to Lotus? No. Oh. I'm going to put Daresta in the Lotus, and I'm going to put Charles Peak in the second seat. Ooh, that's just crazy. But I like it. So crazy, so, it might just work. We're halfway through this season. Um, as we talked about, we've got all the stats and numbers and, and many more that you could possibly want. Uh, you can always visit funwithcars.com slash stats to see the spreadsheet that uh, gives us all these numbers that we talk about. If you right. want to kind of look at it for yourself and find little interesting nuggets of qualifying positions and race wins and various other uh, fun bits that you can look at. Um, also from there, you can comment on our shows and, uh, we'd love to know what you think of our predictions and what your own predictions are and, uh, how you think the, uh, teammate battles, uh, shake down in your mind. And, uh, and from there you can subscribe to us on iTunes and any other podcatchers that you may have and yeah, send us and email, also, feed, tweet um, us, Facebook messages, all that kind of fun stuff. Poem requests. Let's not forget that. Yeah, we can forget that. That's, that's probably okay. If we don't Do have not so many poem, poem requests. requests. The great thing about my poems is I spend very little time on them. Yeah. So just imagine if I spent time on them. Then they'd be I more might, like your spreadsheets. I might have come up with something else that re, re, um, that rhyme. Clearly you're a word guy. <laughs> so that's the no, good news. I, we might come up with something else that rhymes with pitfall. Other than a stall. Like uh, wall. Well, I came up with that. That doesn't count. if the mall. All right, I think it's time to end this episode. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Visit funwithcars.com. And until next time, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. Chin up. Spa's only two weeks away. Or three. It's sooner than before. (laughs) 